Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. Let her rip. No, you have a big There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. It, it, it. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I ain't scared. Of shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck him. Q Bruce. I love you. You Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, I, I've got a new catchphrase. It's Bruce Pritchard and Conrad create controversy. I'm pretty sure that's what we're doing over at 83 weeks, but man, it feels like this last week or so, man, you've got them stirred up. What's causing all this? Well, you know, I guess we should go back because we had recorded our podcast for last week well ahead of time because of our schedules and we had recorded it prior to the something else to wrestle with on the wwe network and there was just some creative differences and we're not going to go into the specifics of everything but you you win some you lose some you give and you take and we finally got a show on the air that took place on uh on Friday, and I hope that we have we have gotten through those rough times and, and moved on. And our show should be debuting on the WWE Network every single Wednesday going forward from this point. But you can catch them all on demand. If you missed the controversial WWE CW, it's available on demand on the WWE Network right now. I feel like you're behind, Bruce. You know the controversy this week is they let us talk about TNA. Well, well, I had to cover last week as well, and then we get to this week, and, and they let us talk about those three letters, T-N-A, and the other two letters, A-J. Here's, here's my thing. Talk- I really do feel like when we were on the phone with them, and we said, hey, can we talk about T-N-A? I, I mean, I really do believe they think we meant Test and Albert. I, I, think, you're, I think you're correct. I mean, the, um, the reaction we got... On the crew when we started talking about total nonstop action it's not i mean it's almost like it was a surprise and and we had clearly said hey we're gonna do a show on tna okay yeah it's tested out we got a lot of footage it'll all be good <laughs> yeah so uh hopefully you enjoyed our episode on aj styles we're trying to uh, bring you some new stuff of course we've never talked about aj styles in tna in great in a great detail but we were able to and cover his entire run while you were there at least and that was brand new stuff for something else to wrestle so check it out on the wwe network if you haven't already but it turns out that's not the only controversy uh, I, I guess uh, we uh, maybe opened some old wounds last week well unfortunately you know and, and we brought up because what we do on this show is you bring up a lot of the news surrounding the time periods that we're covering at the time and one of the things that we brought up was tom cole and his lawsuit with the wwe and i mentioned the fact that i don't think i've ever met tom cole couldn't pick him out of a lineup however i, I don't want anybody in any way shape or form to think that tom cole did anything wrong at all and tom you know, was 
in a very bad situation, and I don't want anybody that is put in a situation of possible child abuse in any way, shape, or form to stay quiet and not speak up and let people know if there is truly something going on. And Tom has rebuilt his life. He's got three beautiful girls and a wife. He's doing excellent. And I just want to make sure and clear the air completely in, in no way, shape, or form did we want to say anything derogatory at all about Tom Cole last week in our show. I just wanted to clear that up right off the top. Well, and it is fair to say that, you know, we're working directly with whatever's in the observer. So if it was covered in the observer, we're going to sort of go through what Dave's thoughts are and let you sort of react to that. So all those details are out there, but you know, I, I guess none of that really matters. We should echo your sentiment of, you know, we don't want any Meltzer. Oh, wait. Well, we don't want anyone <laughs> to be a victim of abuse. No. And, and clearly no. if that's the case, you definitely need to speak up. And thankfully Tom Cole is another example of somebody who can have a happy ending because uh, life has certainly worked out in his favor. And that's a good thing. And that's the way that it should be for everybody as well. So, you know, shout out to Tom Cole, man. And, and, and thanks for speaking up and letting us know, man. Appreciate it. And Cole has been, uh, one of our listeners for a long time. So we appreciate uh, him digging what we're doing here as well. And hopefully you're digging what we're doing tomorrow night at the house of blues in Chicago. If you haven't already hurry on over and pick up your tickets at BrucePritchard.com. We've still got just a handful remaining and uh, we're pretty excited to be bringing it to you right after NXT. So you don't have to choose. You can do both shows. You can go enjoy the NXT program and then come see Bruce and I, and then Rochester, July 7th. We're going to be all about it. A comedy, comedy at the Carlson the following week. We're in Pittsburgh on July 15th. And then on August 18th, we're at the Gramercy. We didn't forget about you either. LA. We're going to be there the day before survivor series on November 17th. The last time we sold out LA way ahead of time. So don't be shut out. Snatch up your tickets now for Chicago, Rochester, Pittsburgh, New York, and LA at brucepritchard.com. And don't forget to uh, check out all the fine other merchandise opportunities that are there and at boxagimmicks.com. We didn't talk about it in the last couple of uh, weeks, but we should mention that that boxagimmicks.com shirt podcast row that has you and Eric Bischoff, Tony Schiavone, and myself, and it almost looks like the old death row with uh, Suge Knight and Snoop Dogg and Tupac. What'd you think of that shirt? Uh, I thought that I looked absolutely wonderful in it. Now, who was I in the in the in the whole thing? I wasn't Tupac, was I? You would be Snoop Dogg. And- I, I like being Snoopy the dog, man. Me and Snoopy go way back, man. And you know, a little puff puff pass pass, right? Or something puff, like that. Puff, something like that for shizzle and whizzle. And, hey, I didn't even tell you about this, but I got a direct message from somebody who listened to our WWECW show and watched it on the network, and they were insulted that they had been left off the list. And I am not going to mention their name because they will be in Chicago this Saturday night to air their grievance and and ask me face-to-face and ask you, you know, hey, why they weren't a part of the list. And I said, well, you know what? If you want to find out, I invite you to come on down. And they've accepted the invitation, so it should be a lot of fun. It's pretty fun because I got lots of um, I got lots of good feedback from guys. Sean Waltman put us over pretty big. He loved the WWE CW episode. I know for sure that Gertner and Meany dug it. And I even got a message from Danny Doring, of all people, saying that he really enjoyed the show. And one Tommy Dreamer 
checked it out. So we had lots of uh, ECW alumni, our hardcore brothers-in-laws, uh, checking you out know, the show. And I bust Tommy Dreamer's balls a lot on this show. I think everybody does. I think Tommy can be the whipping boy a lot of times for people. But there's not a harder-working guy in the business. And Tommy Dreamer is one of those guys that you got to take your hat off to him. Created his own promotion, House of Hardcore, and is making it a reality and is doing it on his own terms and is actually being successful with it. So as much as I like to bust Tommy Dreamer's balls sometimes, Bubba Ray Dudley likes to do the same. Man, much respect to Tommy Dreamer and everything that he's done. Speaking of doing it on your own terms, you can do that right now at SaveWithBruce.com. Isn't that right, Dusty? Baby, you know that's a fact because, listen, if you got a mortgage and maybe you're paying a little bit too much, maybe you got a whole bunch of credit card bills building up, you can consolidate all of that and take care of it in one low monthly payment and savewithbruce.com can help you out with that, baby. Conrad. Yes, sir. You, you don't even need to have perfect credit. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. We can get you out of an apartment and into a brand new house with no money down. You couldn't even get another apartment that cheap. You'd have to pay your first month's rent, your last month's rent, and a security deposit. But SaveWithBruce.com can hook you up right now. That's SaveWithBruce.com. If we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Bruce, let's get to it. Let's talk about Bad Blood 2003. It's a pretty big deal because we're covering this on the exact 15-year anniversary it goes down in your hometown of Houston, Texas at the old compact center. It drew 10,000 fans for a half a million dollar gate. And it was offered for free for the U S armed forces who were returning home from the Iraq war, huge success. This is the very second bad blood. Of course, the first one took place in 1997, which we've covered before that of course is, uh, unfortunately the day Brian Pillman passed away or when we learned about it. And also the very first ever Hell in a Cell match with Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. Catch that in our archives at somethingtowrestle.com. We don't see another Bad Blood until right here. Uh, Who was a proponent of the name Bad Blood? I think it was just kind of revisiting some old names. Vince Vince went through a transitional period of he wanted everything to be different. He didn't want to repeat anything except for the Big Five. And he wanted the other ones to have different names and be have their own identity, if you will, for that specific show. And he didn't want to repeat, like have a great American bash every year. That's changed. And then he got into, nah, we should have uh, bad blood and money in the bank. And those should be annual events. So it, he kind of waffled back and forth a little bit and came back to bad blood in 2003. Chat me up a little bit about the pricing strategy for pay-per-views here, because the big pay-per-views have always been, or at least in their, this era, they were $34.99 or $34.95, $35, we'll call it. But before here, you know, like when we did In Your House Bad Blood, the In Your Houses were a reduced pricing strategy. Now, the, the idea here is, I understand, it's a shorter show, it's a two-hour show, so it's a smaller price. It feels like when you guys did sort of brand-exclusive pay-per-views, somebody may have pitched well, Hey, let's do a two hour show when it's just raw and a two hour show when it's just SmackDown for a reduced fee. You don't do that. And of course, I think somebody smartened somebody else up and said, Hey, they're going to buy it either way. So let's give them the extra hour and charge the extra 10 or 15 bucks. Right? Well, no, because the, the idea behind the pay-per-view that the television shows both raw and SmackDown were already two hours. Right. So 
you had to give them something extra on pay-per-view. And since you were giving them the extra third hour, the, the price made sense for the normal three-hour pay-per-views. And that is how Vince looked at it. We had to do more than the two-hour shows that we were already giving them. You know, when we were doing the In Your Houses, and they were only two hours. Raw was only an hour at that time, too. So once Raw went to two hours and we started doing a lot more, that's what changed a lot of the philosophy on the pay-per-views. Let's talk a little bit about the, just the overall feel of the company, because you and I've talked about this a little bit before where you sort of talked about 2002 compared to 2003, sort of wrap that up for us. How would you compare 2002 in hindsight to 2003? Well, you know, really, and truly, I I think that they kind of ran together, frankly, and 2003 kind of became the year that we wished we would have had. And at least from a talent perspective in 2000, when we had the invasion and when we actually WCW went out of business and we purchased WCW, if we had had the Ric Flair's, if we'd had the Kevin Nash, we had Goldberg, Scott Steiner, and all of those guys two years earlier, three years earlier, I think that would have made a big difference in 2000. And it was, it was kind of a year in the fog, if you will. Um, it, it was a little funky. And everybody that I've talked to about it, you know, going back and, and trying to just get some help jogging my memory on this show was like, oh, God, you remember this? And it was it was things that it was a rebuilding time and and, uh, and a tough time for those of us in the, in the company, especially in creative. Let's talk a little bit about you know, where business was, because we've talked about 2003 quite a bit. We covered WrestleMania 19 and it had a very disappointing buy rate. 560,000 buys is all they did. I say all they did because WrestleMania 18, the year prior in 02 did 840,000 buys. A lot of people sort of freestyle that maybe that's because they loaded up no way out too much, which was where they returned with Steve Austin. Of course, no way out. No three got 450,000 buys. Uh, but the February pay-per-view in 02 was the NWO debut and it got 575,000 buys. So certainly month over month, we're way down here and bad blood. Even though we talked about the big pile of money it made, I guess we should mention here. It's a bit of a shock because Foley is coming back here, which we're going to talk about, but the numbers up. So backlash right after WrestleMania, which was a big disappointment. They come back with Goldberg and rock. They do 345,000 buys, which has to be a disappointment. They come in with judgment day. Oh, three, 315,000 buys. And then we're way up for bad blood. 385. Now from the prior year, it still feels like we're down a little bit. Um, but in actuality we're up because this is replacing King of the ring. Oh, two. So. Although overall pay-per-view business is down bad blood. Oh, three does really, really well, especially compared to the rest of 2003. Why do you think, and I know we're going to talk about the show in great detail. What was the reason that this show sort of outkicked its coverage? So to speak, it beat expectations. Well, you know, also you have to understand too, in that time frame, our budget was 300,000. If we hit 300,000, it was a good day on buy rate. So anything over 300,000 was a success. 
So when you talk about, oh, that's got to be disappointing. No, because we were looking at anything over 300 compared to the previous years. Yes, it was. And business overall was was down and felt a little out of sorts. In addition, you know, pay-per-view business and all everything encompassing it. But um, I can't tell you that. I don't think that. Maybe it was the star power, you know. Maybe it was bringing, finally bringing in a lot of the guys that were in from WCW. But it just was kind of an anomaly, really. Let's talk a little bit about the decision to move away from King of the Ring. But before we do, I want you to sort of break down what you said there about three hundred thousand buys. Let's say, for instance, that a pay per view was thirty four ninety nine. Out of that thirty-four ninety-nine, and we've talked about this before, way back in the archives, but I want to touch on it again. Roughly, how much? What percentage of that thirty-four ninety-nine would WWE receive? Roughly fifty. Okay, so now we're down to seventeen dollars and fifty cents. We'll call it. So let's talk about that seventeen fifty and the way that collection process works. Someone receives their Directv or their Comcast bill. They pay it. And that happens roughly 30 days after the ordering. And then, you know, maybe some slap dicks are delinquent because they didn't go to save with Bruce.com and they're slow paying their bill. So maybe it's 60 or 90 days after that's when the money starts to roll in. Correct. By the time that the cable companies, um, direct TV, Comcast or Xfinity time Warner, all those folks. And that's who you're dealing with a lot of times at this point in the game, by the time they would retrieve all of their money and then they would pay us and it would be about 90 days after the event before they'd ever receive the money. So there you go. It winds up being $6.7 million WWE side, uh, from the domestic pay-per-view in 2003, how much international revenue were you guys dragging in? Oh, uh, you know, the, you didn't have pay-per-view internationally, except when we would do a UK pay-per-view specific. All right. For the most part, a lot of those pay-per-views were sold as specials to our television partners internationally. For example, uh, and I don't know this to be fact and or accurate. I'm using it as a hypothetical. Uh, India and Star TV, uh, Star Asia may buy WrestleMania as a special. So that would be in in addition to the rights fee that they would pay for, say, raw or SmackDown, then they would pay for additional specials. Some of them would just buy the big five. Some of them would want the monthly special. So it depended upon what it was. Some areas didn't get all the pay-per-views. So it wasn't a pay-per-view per se, but they did get paid extra for it. Let's touch on King of the ring for a minute. King of the ring was the June pay-per-view in 2002 and in 2001. And, and now King of the ring is done away with here. And the June show, instead of it being King of the Ring, is now Bad Blood. Why was the decision made to sort of move away from King of the Ring? Fuck King of the Ring. <laughs> you know, one day we're sitting there, we're talking about what we're going to do for King of the Ring. Why are you thinking King of the Ring? We do King of the Ring every year. It sucks. So Vince wanted to get away from the King of the Ring. He, he was tired of the tournament concept. Didn't want to do it. So it was, it was that easy. One day he came in and said, we're not doing King of the ring anymore. Stop thinking that way. Get outside of the box and, and move forward. Let's come up with something else. 
Let's talk briefly about, uh, some other news and notes going around in the company. Um, it's reported here that Nathan Jones got upset and threatened to quit and return to Australia recently, but was eventually talked into staying by Johnny Ace and the talk of the locker room is that Ace sort of persuaded Jones to stay by giving him a pay raise. And of course, Keller says these reports are unconfirmed. What do you remember about Nathan Jones? It feels like he was never all the way in on this. He really wasn't. And then Johnny went and says, Oh, if you're upset, we'll give you more money and you won't have to work as much. How about that? Um, no, and that's not what happened. You know, Johnny, if Johnny did talk to him and, and or Vince, whoever the hell it was, Nathan wasn't all in. Nathan didn't want to be here. He was homesick and he was really yearning to be back in Australia and wanting to get away. And he didn't like the work schedule, didn't like being on the road all the time and didn't like being away from his home country. So he was tired and wanted to get out. Well, maybe he was missing some of that home cooking. And if that's what you're hankering for, you need to go to blue apron, because let me tell you with blue apron, you can skip all the meal planning and get straight to cooking. Blue apron makes it possible for you to enjoy unforgettable meals inspired by the vibrant cooking of the Mediterranean, like seared salmon and spicy orange salsa centered around fruits, veggies, lean meats, plenty of olive oil. These recipes are deliciously nutritious, but maybe what you like best about it, Bruce, and you've told me this is that it's the incredible ingredients. I mean, you don't have to go shop for it. You don't have to pick and decide, you know, which one's for you. You're getting the best of the best delivered right to you. And they show you the power of what food can do with these chef design recipes. It all happens with Blue Apron. You're going to get farm fresh ingredients. And maybe this is the best part for our listeners, step-by-step recipes. So you can't get this wrong. Uh, the menu is going to change every week based on whatever's in seasons. You're going to make sure you have the absolute freshest meal possible. And this in-house culinary team, they're putting together some cool stuff and your family has been enjoying it for quite a while. Right, Bruce. It's what we had for dinner tonight. As a matter of fact, and the great thing about it is, is they have a prep time on there. Sometimes it'll say 30 to 40 minutes, 40 to 50 minutes. That's all in. Well, if you got two people in the house that like to cook or, or somebody that can at least like brown the chicken or chop up some limes and different things like that, then you take that prep time and you basically cut it in half and you've got a fresh gourmet meal for two and or four, however many you want, and you subscribe for and it's ready and it is excellent and you don't have to worry about going to the store. We just walk outside, it's on the doorstep, we bring it in and we have the next couple of nights all laid out for us. And by the way, it tastes great. So right now you can go check out the menu and if you go and you go to blueapron.com slash wrestling, you're going to get your first three meals free. Whoa, 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 you hear what I said? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We're, we're, man, here's the deal. We're selling stuff, right? Like we're trying I, to, we're trying to sell blue apron. You just I said understand. free. You said free Bruce. That, that, yes. Don't do that. We're not going to get our commission on this. You said free. Yes. You get your first three meals free at blueapron.com. You, you just go blue, type it in in your part. Blueapron.com it, slash wrestling. It's free, Conrad. No. It's not. How can it be free? They're paying us to be on. You can't give away their stuff. It's how they, much? They're, they're, listen to our listeners right now. It's blueapron.com slash wrestling. And you, 
you, you're listening to my voice right now, you're going to get your first three meals absolutely free. Bruce, take your pills. You're giving stuff away for free and you're talking too slow. We got to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to go see if this is for real or not. Blueapron.com slash wrestling. Blue Apron is a better way to cook and hopefully they'll be back with us next week, but you can't give away all this stuff, man. It can't be free. What are you it's doing? It's free, Conrad. Go now. <sighs> You're doing you frustrate too- me, man. You're doing too much. Keller reported that Rocky Johnson, the rock's father was released from his training duties in Ohio Valley and Keller freestyles. Not much of a surprise because he stopped going shortly after he signed the contract. <laughs> uh, what do you remember about the rocks pop pop and OVW? You know, I, it was a situation where Rocky thought, Hey, that'd be a really great thing to move to Kentucky and to be a part of the program and get involved with the developmental system. And man, I think he really missed (laughs) being at Miami and realized that Louisville wasn't for him and he was ready to move on. So it didn't work out right away. And they thank God they realized it quickly. It wasn't going to be a fit. Rocky wanted to go back to Miami. Around the same time, Keller reports that the road warriors worked the dark match at the SmackDown taping, but uh, they're not expected back in here. W- what was the rap on the road warriors here in 2003? Did they, yeah, obviously they weren't the road warriors of old, but we out of respect and out of friendship said, yeah, come on in, man. We'll take another look at you. And if it's one thing, you know, you'll always get from the guys on the phone. I'm in the best shape of my life. By God, I just did six hours on cardio. And then I went and I swam a an ocean and so on and so forth. And then they get there and they're not in shape and they're, they're not what they used to be. So it was a courtesy, but there was never really any serious consideration at all to bring them back. Let's talk about Christian. This is in the torch around this time. And it's one of my favorite stories. Quote, Christian has been asked several times in the past to change his look, but is always against cutting his hair. The premise of an intercontinental title run Maybe the incentive that finally persuaded him to make the change. Did Christian like, <laughs> I'm not cutting my hair. that she give me the belt. <laughs> no, it was a heart to heart with Vince McMahon where, well, pal, frankly, I don't have anything with a guy that looks like this. However, I had a guy that was cleaned up a little bit and maybe, uh, not all this crap hanging down on his shoulders and a little different outfit that looks like an athlete (laughs) and not some hippie or out there in California or Canada or wherever the hell you're from. I might be able to do something with him. Do you know how, whenever like a basketball player is traded to another team, ESPN will like Photoshop the new Jersey on him immediately and run it on their programming. Have you seen that before Bruce? Sure. Yeah, sure you have. I'm sure you're a big ESPN well, guy. You know what? Actually, no, I actually have because my son keeps ESPN on 24-7. And if he's in the house, it's on. You know, even there, you fucked it up. You said he keeps ESP on. I said ESPN. <laughs> no, you didn't. Just you know, sounds you... like I said, I should be in a peeing. ESPN. I, I knew you were going to say that. I have ESP over here too. Hey, so here's my, in my head, and just let's just go with it for a minute. 
Okay. Vince McMahon has someone in the graphics department do a Photoshop of what Christian would look like with short hair and different gear. And he puts the intercontinental title on him. So I feel like <laughs> he maybe shows him a picture of him present day with the velocity logo behind him. Like here's where we are now. And here's where we could be. It's almost like you're at the optometrist, better one, better two. And on the second one, he's got new gear. He's on raw. He's got the intercontinental title. He's got the short hair. <laughs> and then Jay Reese says, I'm gonna go with the second one, boss. Where can I get that ring gear? Give me those damn clippers. I love it, pal. God damn it. That title's yours. Imagine what it could look like. Get that damn over the shoulder garment off of you. And that hair, it's got to go. Got to go. That's amazing. <laughs> what's what's with the whiskers, pal? Ugh. Uh, the figure total, uh, circling the WWE office at this time is that Tori Wilson's issue had sold over a million copies, which is up from the magazine's average of around 800,000. Man, how over was Tori Wilson and Playboy in the locker room? <laughs> Uh, probably over like Rover, I would have to say, man, Tori was one of the most, see, here's the, here's the thing about Tori. You can't even think about, well, yes, you can. Um, you can't even think about Tori like that because she's so damn nice and she's so beautiful. And then she's so sweet. What are you talking that, about? You can't think about her like that. Roll Todd. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Well, I mean, could you imagine what, what, what would happen if you like had a beautiful woman like that? Okay. never mind. I get it. I think what you're saying is this seems like a good idea, but when it actually comes time to, uh, do the deal, maybe you have a little performance anxiety. Well, baby, you, you, you talking about hard times, if you will. Well, I, I tell you, let, let, let me tell you about somebody, my, my good friend, Willie Alexander, he was having a hard time experiencing hard time. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, baby? Sometimes you you ready to go, but maybe your little ling-a-dingy maybe ain't so ready to go. I got the solution for you. It's blue chew. That's blue like the color. And it can increase your performance and give you that extra confidence in bed. Now, BlueChew.com bring you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients is Viagra and Fialis. So you gonna know they work, baby. Now, since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready anytime, day or night. And Blue Chew is prescribed online. It ships straight to your house, right to your door. Comes in a little discreet package where nobody knows what's inside but you. No more doctor's visits, no more waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. You know what awkwardness is? Feeling kind of funky like a monkey, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Now, Blue Chew is made in the USA. It's shipped direct, so they're cheaper than any pharmacy. And my buddy, Willie Alexander, baby, he's kicking like never before thanks to BlueChew.com, baby. Can I just tell you right now, Bruce, that yeah, we have the fucking best job in the world. We do, baby. But you want to know what's even better than that? What's that? Well, right now for, for our listeners, people listening to us right now. Right. Now, that's only for them. Now, y'all can tell your friends, but you got to tell them to come and listen to us. If you go on over to BlueChew.com, 
you're going to get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code WRESTLE. Just pay $5 for shipping. Again, listen to me now. That's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. You go in there and you put the promo code WRESTLE, and they're going to send you Bluetooth for free. It's better, cheaper, and faster than anything out there, baby. You hear what I'm saying? Did you hear what I said? Bruce, you're doing it again. I'm you giving just, away free. Why? You, stop it. This oh, is, you go on over to bluechew.com, put the promo code wrestling, you try it for free. It's only $5 for shipping and handling, baby. You can't beat that. Free. This is our last episode. I know you heard me. Don't pretend like you didn't hear me. It's free, Blue, Conrad. Bluechew.com, promo code wrestle. Get it while you can, I guess. But uh, maybe you don't know anything about hard times unless you've tried Bluetooth. Believe me, I know all about hard times, baby, because they send it to us. Oh, wait a minute. Never mind. So anyway. Um... So the magazine was pretty popular <laughs> in the locker room, huh? Yes. And, you know, of course, <laughs> Tori was like everybody's little sister. So it was kind of kind of yeah. hard. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's move on. What? Uh, on the May 19th ish episode of Raw, it's one of my very favorite Raws. And, and listen, every now and again, I'll recommend something and you'll go like stop what you're doing and watch it. And then you tweet me and say, dude, you're so right. This is one of those. Go out of your way to find this. It's May 19th, 2003. Triple H is going to wrestle Ric Flair in the main event here. It goes down in Greenville, South Carolina. And this is the time when we get to see Ric Flair have one more title match. And it feels like this is the last one. And it all happens through a fun little twat. A fun little twat. I tried to say plot twist. And I guess but it said you said a twat plift. I, it was I a, did. I, listen, we, we get, we going to get into that, into the pie eating a little bit later on, baby. But <laughs> this ain't no twat plift. This a plot twist. Bluetooth.com. It's free. Five dollars shipping in Italy. Come on, folks. Anyway, talk about this twat plift. Go out of your way to see this episode of Raw. You've got a very spirited Ric Flair promo when he's telling Triple H he's taking this title shot. Seriously, of course, in storyline, these guys have been together, but here they're gonna have a match. Uh it's even on the Ric Flair DVD where they do sort of a post match celebration. And we've never really talked about that here on the show. Allegedly, Rick didn't know you guys were going to do that for him. You know, that he was going to have a title match and then all the boys were going to come in and drink some Miller lights and literally the, the locker room empties and he gives a little speech and, you know, just thanks South Carolina for being flair country and supporting him all these years. How did that come about? Just a pre- literally appreciation of Rick flair and feeling that in Rick's mind, during this time, Rick had a confidence issue and wasn't feeling that he was the Ric Flair of old and didn't have the same swagger. And we all felt, you know what, man, you're Ric Flair. Go out and be Ric Flair. Show him who, you know, th- that guy is still here. He can still go. So that was a storyline on TV, but it mirrored real life. And it was something that the guys wanted to just show their appreciation for all that Rick had done. And Everybody, you know, it was a shoot. Afterwards, he went out and tore the house down with Triple H. And then everybody just wanted to come out and 
let them know, Hey, in real life, man, we love you and appreciate you. Absolutely. I mean, even, uh, Stephanie and Vince come down, they put the belt on his shoulder. It's a whole deal. Now that doesn't air on raw, but it is on that flare DVD. But I feel like I should mention here that at the end of that raw is when it's announced that Kevin Nash is getting a rematch because this happened the night after a pay-per-view, uh, against triple H and he is getting a rematch this time in a hell in a cell. So we're off to the races and our storyline is sort of set up here the following week. Shawn Michaels comes down and Jr. calls him the best of all time and introduces Ric Flair, who he also calls the best of all time. And Sean does a promo here where he says for 18 years, he wanted to say something to Flair. He's every reason that he wanted to be a wrestler. Flair's the reason that Sean had to be great from day one. He wanted to be what Flair was on a nightly basis. So he's really putting him over in a big way. And Flair is touched and then agrees to a match where Sean says he really just wants to see where he stands. So he wants to face him one time. And of course they've had matches before, but we're setting up a pay-per-view. Okay. Fabe triple H comes out and wants to put a stop to this. And he starts yelling at Ric Flair. Uh, and, uh, these guys go back and forth and Flair saying, I don't want to be the guy who follows triple H around and puts the belt around his waist. And Triple H is yelling at Rick about how he's an old man and blah, blah, blah. What'd you think of the way this angle is set up here with Triple H, Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair? Because as wrestling fans themselves, this has to be a pretty big deal to Shawn and Hunter. Is it not? It, the reason that it worked and the reason that it was all put together, cause it was real and it's how Shawn and, and, um, Hunter both felt about Rick. And it was, as I said, you know, it was art imitating life and it was a way to get Rick involved in something. And so a lot of this stuff had, had an air of truth to it because it's how they both felt. Uh, absolutely. And, um, I mean, this is, this is good stuff in this era. I really like the way this one was set up. Let's talk a little bit about Eric Bischoff because he struts that ass out here later and says that this is a great match, but it's not happening here in fucking mobile, Alabama. Instead it's happening at bad blood. And he sets up a handicap match where Rick and Sean are going to tag team against triple H. And it's the first time that we've really seen this, but of course it is on the heels of the prior week where triple H and flair wrestled. So later in the show, as you know, Rick flair turns on Shawn Michaels, which is like classic old school, everything that happened in the eighties with sting or anybody else who was involved in the horseman and then kicked out. Um, and he sucker punches Shawn Michaels. Kevin Nash runs down to make the save. A masked man runs out and attacks the baby faces before revealing himself as Randy Orton. And this is pretty much the start of evolution. Of course, Batista is going to wind up being added not too long after this, but a really a great swerve classic old school stuff here, bro. Uh, with Rick turning on Shawn Michaels, how does this come together? Who was the create? who was behind the creative of this? And how did Randy Orton sort of level up into this spot? Because this is a big deal for him. Well, this, this was something that Hunter wanted to do. And Hunter wanted to have a group that kind of mirrored the four horsemen and be able to have Rick in an advisory role and, and use Rick to help, uh, Randy and be able to help Batista as well. And still, you know, be a vital part of this thing. The, the whole thing, you know, getting up to it, it's, it's funny going back and listening to the commentary. Well, you can see the evolution of, 
of this taking place. Every other word was evolution, and it was overkill to the point of, boy, I wonder what the hell they're going to call these guys because the evolution of wrestling is right here in front of you. Um, it was it was really the past in Rick. It was the present in Triple H. It was the future in Randy Orton, and then it was you know the prospect of Batista. So it was it was a pretty damn cool group, you know, when you sit there and think about it, look at it um, after all. But that was something that, that Hunter had in his head that he pitched, and that's what we went with. Was there any consideration for anybody else here instead of Randy Orton? Yeah, uh, well, uh, Mark Jindrak. Mark Jindrak was original. They actually shot vignettes with Mark Jindrak uh, at Scores in New York. They also shot some stuff with him in a helicopter and in a limousine. But Mark, the chemistry just didn't work. And also Vince was not sold on Mark's in-ring work as well. The reasoning for having Mark Jindrak as a part of Evolution was the same thing as Randy. They felt that him being around Rick and Hunter and all that stuff all the time would allow him to grow and we'd get the most potential out of him. Vince saw Randy and felt that's the guy. Around this same time, Vince was trying to mend old fences with Bruno San Martino, and he's actually trying to help him get inducted into the Madison Square Garden Hall of Fame. And that's, of course, is not something that really shook out the way they wanted. Bruno winds up being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2013, but it takes a while for those fences to be mended. Do you remember this strategy of, you know, Bruno trying to be, uh, I don't know, celebrated with Madison Square Garden and Vince maybe having a hand in that? Well, I know that the Garden really wanted to celebrate Bruno, and Bruno was a huge star in Madison Square Garden. And Vince looked at it as an opportunity to maybe get Bruno back in the fold. And if Bruno would go and accept that, that it was a possibility that Bruno may come back and accept the WWE Hall of Fame. Bruno still, at this point, was not ready. You know, he wasn't ready to listen. And he didn't feel, didn't like the product and didn't feel that he wanted to come back at that time and just kind of fell through as it, as it had several times before. Another legend is in the news around this time, but this time it's a sad anniversary. Freddie Blassie passed away on June 2nd, 2003. What are your memories of Freddie? We've talked about him a little bit on the show, but he's always been sort of regarded as the elder statesman of the company. Any good Freddie Blassie stories you can share with us? <laughs> no, none that I can tell on the podcast. Freddie Blassie was the first American heel to go to Japan after World War II. And he was notorious in Japan, working with Ricky Dozan and Giant Baba. A classic heels heel. Fred Blassie, perfect bleach blonde hair, perfectly styled always dressed to a T, which is how he came up with the name Classy Freddie Blassie as a manager in later years. But Blassie used to, with pride, talk to you about how when he was working Los Ad the Los Angeles Territory and he would pull his shirt up or take his shirt off and show you all the stab wounds all over his body. And like, yeah, I got stabbed right here from some son of a bitch and he came and I got stabbed over here and I got cut here and I did this and I, I got taken out over here. Um, there was pride in getting that heat and being a heel that Freddie Blassie had, but there wasn't a better human being that loved kids more and 
just an all round great guy uh, that I'm extremely proud to call friend and say that I knew through the years. Blassie was one of the best old, old school class. No doubt about it. I mean, that's what everybody says. Let's talk about the June 2nd raw show opens with uh, rock getting out of a limo and he's going to be on the highlight reel says he's here for the fans, pretty much turning himself baby face. And he was a heel most recently last losing to Goldberg at the backlash pay-per-view. This is an interesting time for the rock. Talk to me about sort of how the rock stood with the company here in the summer of 2003. Well, this, this was kind of during the time where Vince came up with the, with the phrase, you know, rock can't be a heel. He's shitting on the audience, but he's shitting ice cream. Uh, they love it. They want more. (laughs) So Vince felt he was fighting the tide, trying to keep rock heel, but rock was in and out. Rock was out doing, uh, Hollywood stuff. He was making movies and he was starting his, his run to be the biggest celebrity in the world at, at this point, you know, and it, it's taken a while for him to get there, but this was during the time he was making the transition from the ring to, uh, being in front of the camera and being behind the camera in Hollywood. So we didn't have him full time. What we also see on this show where Bischoff and Steve Austin agree to compete in what they're calling a redneck triathlon. I gotta hear who fucking pitched this bullshit. Now don't get me wrong. It winds up being half funny, half entertaining, but I mean, what the hell is this idea? Okay. Let me, let me preface a lot of this with, uh, I talked to a few people that are worked with during this time frame in the company, because watching the pay-per-view as I had texted you, it was the parts of it that were extremely brutal. And as I'm going back and I'm jogging my memory on this, what the hell were we doing here? We all kind of had the general consensus of this was a time in the company where creative even hated creative. And we were trying to get by. We were writing shows to get through the next day and just be done with it and move on to the next week. And it was painful sometimes, but it was um, not always the best. And the the triathlon, the redneck triathlon was you had Steve who was going through some injury stuff. So Steve couldn't take any offense. Steve could, could give somebody something, but he couldn't take anything. So Steve was being protected that way from physicality. And then you've got Eric who's, who's a heel and Vince wanted to keep Steve good. And he had to have them both on TV all the time. Well, let's have them compete. What, what will we do? We had an idea early on of what it could be and, and they could compete in in an Olympics of sorts in Texas, you know, the Texas Olympics. And then Vince came up with the redneck triathlon and that's how we came to it. Um, but the original ideas behind it were different than what actually took place. So uh, we'll talk about it in a minute. Let's talk about this Goldberg skit here because Goldberg shows up to raw here in one of those classic cars that we've talked about a lot here that Goldberg has maybe had some trouble with. You can hear more about that in our Goldberg episode, but this is the episode 
where Jericho is shown pouring paint all over Goldberg's car. And then he takes off. Uh, so as a result, Christian winds up stepping in with his new look. Uh, once Vince compelled him to do that. And so now, uh, he, instead of having the highlight reel, which is what was originally advertised for Jericho, Christian's taken over and he's calling it the peep show. And his guest, of course, is the guest from the highlight reel. It's the rock who comes out to a huge pop, does the finally gimmick and believe it or not, Christian cuts him off and does it himself. And Christian starts talking about how he's the new people's champion and he's on fire here. Uh, what'd you think of Christian and the rock here? This is a big opportunity for Christian because he had sort of been seen as a tag team guy. And now he's out there jabbing with the rock. He had, he always had played kind of a backseat to edge as well. And I think that anybody that saw the hall of fame this past year at WWE, to me, Christian was the star of the show. Edge and Christian both were excellent when they kept coming out and doing their cameos, but inducting the Dudleys and just the facials of Christian, you see what classic timing he has. And only a few people saw that. Brian Gewertz was somebody he loved writing for Christian because Christian had input and they worked very well together. And Brian saw this talent. Brian saw the humor and, and the wit that Christian had and wrote to that. And I think that Christian <laughs> delivered it well because nobody cut the rock off. And the rock liked Christian too, so he was willing to go with it as well. It was good stuff. It was it was different because we hadn't done that before. One of my favorite lines from this whole thing was um, when <laughs> Rock is sort of uh, shitting on Christian and he says... Christian's daddy is a hoe and Christian replies, he's a pediatrician. And I don't know why, <laughs> but that's such a classic response. Great stuff. Go out of your way to uh, check out some of this stuff on this raw, uh, believe it or not, Jericho returns here and, uh, he gets in the mix and he tells rock, I'm not getting speared on Sunday. So I want to know what it feels like because of course, Goldberg just beat the rock. So pretty fun stuff here. Booker comes in, gets involved as well. And eventually Christian and Jericho run off. We, we see uh, Booker and rock have some fun with a rock Rooney and uh, Booker doing a people's elbow. Next up, we've got Renee Dupree working with Kane. Of course, we're setting up a tag team match there. Booker T and Goldust are working with uh, Christian and Jericho. And afterwards, this is when we see Goldberg return to spear Jericho. Uh, and then we find out that Austin has to uh, secure a different type of referee for the hell in the cell, because none of the referees will agree to work in the hell in the cell. And this skit where all the referees are sort of bowing out of this opportunity is pretty well done here. Whose idea is it to sort of play off of Tim White's situation in the hell in the cell and all the real life stuff that's happened in these matches as a, a reason to have a special guest referee in Mick Foley. Well, Mick was back and looking for something to do. And it was kind of a, a one-off type of situation of, a short-term deal, but it was tied to the hell in a cell. And Mick was obviously in the most classic hell in a cell, not the original one, but Mick taking the bump and Mick had taken some crazy bumps and done some crazy shit in the hell in a cell. So it was logical that the guy that had seen the most damage, albeit to himself, uh, Mick Foley, be the referee that he could handle whatever kind of punishment the cell could dish out. And that was the logic behind it to bring him in and get the referees in a position where they didn't want to have anything to do with it. 
Around this same time in June, JR was on record as saying that Steve Williams was being considered for a contract. Was he just Dr. Death's friend till the end, man? Yes, he was. And I admire that. I, there, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I think there were, you know, we all had our favorites and we all had guys that we were always trying to, to bring in that may not, may not be the perfect fit, but you want to try and help them out. You know, Michael Hayes was, was somebody that was told, no, I can't tell you how many times, but every opportunity that there was for something that Michael might fit into, I'd say, uh, what about Michael Hayes? No. Uh, what about Michael Hayes? No. And then we were in a spot where, you know, Michael Hayes would do really well there. Bring him in. <laughs> and the, you know, and then the rest is history. So Dr. Death was JR's and they were friends from, you know, Oklahoma boys. And there's nothing wrong with that, man. And, and it's not like doc was a bad talent, right? You know, but yes, JR was going to push him to the, to the ends of the earth. Eight days before bad blood, you guys ran a pay-per-view in England insurrection. And on top it's triple H beating Kevin Nash in a street fight to retain the world title 16 minutes and 33 seconds. Anything you can tell us about insurrection. Oh, three here. God, it's another one of those I blocked out, but you know, it was for the UK only, uh, specifically for the UK, not really available. Well, it wasn't available anywhere else. And it also enabled Kevin and triple H to work out a lot of the things that they were going to do on the, in the hell in the cell match. The big, but it gave that, that was the storyline. That was the main event storyline we were doing on all the shows at the time. Maybe the big news in the industry at the time is that longtime producer Dave Sahadi is no longer with WWE. And I think we've covered him a lot here on the show. He's responsible for some of those great videos that we've seen over the years. Uh, including, you know, ring entrance videos, the pay-per-view video summaries, but the really classic stuff, you know, lonely road of faith. And I mean, uh, triple H's return video where it's the, I think it's a U2 song, uh, the, all, the whole, the stuff with Creed that they did through the years, really classic stuff. And he's sort of just gone here. Uh, Wade killer would write quote, he will be missed big time. He contributed so much says one WWE employee who has worked with him. He worked alongside Kevin Dunn, the head of production. And for years and years, he was often referred to as a genius and an artist when it came to his production skills, but he's gone. What happened here? Uh, Dave was burnt out and Dave was looking to take some time off. He wanted to take a leave of absence and come back. The feeling was if you're going to leave, then leave. But uh, there's no guarantee that your job is going to be here when you come back. And Chris Chambers was also working a lot with David Sahadi during that time. So I think there was a misperception sometimes that it was all Sahadi. They had a great team around him. Let me ask you that because uh, I wanted to bring up Chambers specifically for that. I feel like every now and again, and you recently touched on this, when you went on a little bit of a rant about the whole fire road dog narrative that happens amongst fans. The people are just saying fire road dog, because he's the only name they know of guys who are involved in creative. I feel like that happens a lot with Sahadi. So anytime there's like a really cool WWE video, everybody just assumes, oh, that must be Sahadi. He's become almost like, you know, I'll have a Coke or I need a Band-Aid or hand me a Kleenex. He is a (laughs) brand when it comes to video. What, why is it, why is he sort of the name and not Chris Chambers? Who's, you know, been there at this point longer. Because Sahadi was out in front. 
and Sahadi was the face that was out in front. And Chambers was the unsung hero behind, and Chambers was the one a lot of times coming up with some of those ideas. They were a great team. They worked really well together, and one complemented the other. So I'm not saying you know, one's better than the other because Sahadi was off the chart talented and extremely creative and did some great work. It's just a lot of times, as you say, I think Chambers gets overlooked because he was that quiet guy in the background that was maybe coming up with the idea, but he didn't pitch it to Vince or he didn't, he wasn't out in front of it, but he was the guy putting it together on the other side or he was the one going, Hey, what if we did this? And, um, it was a hell man. There was a hell of a team at that point, but the whole idea with David leaving was David wanted time off, man. He was absolutely burnt. He just wanted to get away for a while. And the feeling was, you know, we can't just hold your job for you. If you want to leave and if, if you're, we haven't filled your position, then you come back and, you know, we can find something for you. But we're not going to say go leave and come back and you're going to be here. That's all it was. It wasn't a big dispute or a falling out or anything like that. Let's talk about somebody else who is uh, leaving here. Wade Keller would report that Jamal of three minute warning had been released. Quote, his reputation in the locker room was that he was cocky and didn't do enough to protect his opponents in the ring. Jamal had been on the bubble ever since the nightclub incident that saw him being arrested after threatening a police officer who had tried to remove his wife from the club. Uh, of course, Jamal would return a few years later as Umaga. What are your memories of his release here in the summer of 03? Well, my memory was the incident in the nightclub and that it was timing wasn't good. And I think whoever it was, Jr. Johnny, it just had enough at that point. And they weren't, weren't going to go in, continue this roller coaster. And there were some other issues as well. That was the big one. The, the straw that broke the camel's back. I don't remember anybody ever saying that, uh, Eki was dangerous or anything in the ring. He was actually a hell of a talented guy, but that may, that may have been one of the things that someone had complained to talent relations. Again, it all adds up. Well, you know, I, I can't wait for us to talk about a story on him because I feel like Umaga is one of those really underrated characters. And obviously a lot of people have a lot of respect for his performances, but when you see him on a poll one day, vote for him, he's going to be a sleeper episode. Let's talk about Sable who we are going to be talking about in long form sometime soon here on the show. It comes out in the torch here that she and Mark Merrow have separated because Mark Merrow didn't want her to return to the company, which she did. Did you ever hear about Mark not wanting her to come back or uh, any sort of discussion about her, you know, maybe sort of having some marital problems here? Uh, you know, by the time that it got to us, that there was even interest in Sable and that there may be discussions going on. I think that Sable and Mark had already been divorced. So, Maybe, you know, uh, whoever had been talent relations had been talking to her before that, and that might have been, but I really have no idea as far as, as that goes. All I know is that when we were talking about, they came and said, Hey, what do you guys think about bringing Sable back? And everybody's like, well, yeah, that'd be great. We could use her and we could fit her into something. What about Mark Merrill? That was our, that was our question is, does this mean we have to bring Mark Merrill back? Nope. Mark Merrill's not a part of it. As a matter of fact, they're divorced. So it's, it's just Sable. I was like, okay, cool. So by the time that I'd even heard it, 
I think they were already divorced. Somewhere online, you can find video of this next bit. Uh, it's triple H's appearance on ABC's Jimmy Kimmel live, which happened on June 11th. And there's a four-year-old wrestling fan there named Alex. And they're interviewing the boy about who his favorite wrestlers are. And he says Goldberg and Kevin Nash. And he predicts that Kevin Nash is going to beat triple H for the belt. Uh, of course he doesn't know that triple H buries everyone. So triple H responds, don't bet on it. And the kid punches triple H in the arm, which is hilarious. And when Jimmy Kimmel asks, <laughs> asks triple H about his upcoming marriage to Stephanie McMahon, triple H pops off that he hopes him and Steph have a kid who will beat up Alex someday. Which and I then think Triple H pedigreed the kid right through the fucking floor. <laughs> He's just merciless. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll show that kid. Yeah. Um, You're booked. There you fuck go. Fuck you. Let's talk about the uh, fiscal report that WWE releases in mid June of Oh three. It's pretty much painting a picture of decreasing business across the board. Total revenues for live and televised business. Uh, were 295 million compared to 323 million for the prior year. Uh, live events were down from 74 million to 72 million, but ticket prices actually increased about 9%. And the number of physical events went way up too, because you've got the brand split. So there's only 237 events in 02. There's 327 in 03. So I want to repeat that. Revenues for live events are down 2 million, even though ticket prices are 9% higher and there's almost a hundred more shows. So it is definitely on a downswing here. Is anybody panicking when these numbers come out or does everybody sort of know what to expect? And it is just, you know, the ebb and flow of the business. There was a conscious decision and we knew that we might have to take a couple of steps back, you know, take two steps back to take three or four forward. And we knew that going in with the brand split and everything that Vince was doing. So that was, that was expected. And that was, we knew it was going to happen. Not only did you know it was going to happen, you predicted here that between May of 03 and April of 04, you would see another decrease. You thought you would go, let me back up here. Oh, two was 409 million in Oh, two. Uh, oh, three is going to be 374. And now you're predicting for 04 that it's going to be somewhere between 325 and 350. So you definitely know you're in a downturn. And so for the fourth quarter um, of 2003, the fiscal quarter, WWE records a loss of 4.1 million. Although there would have been a profit had it not been for the $8.9 million loss associated with shutting down the world nightclub. That fucking world was a debacle, was it not? Yeah, it was business that we never should have gotten into. Anyway, overall average attendance is, um, is down and, and that's, that's hurting you, but you're trying to offset some of that with pay-per-views and you're actually increasing the price. So one of the reasons that revenues are still as good as they are and not all the way in the floor yet is pay-per-views go from twenty nine ninety five to thirty four ninety five, And really that helps offset whatever a decrease in buys are. Let me ask you this. When you, you, you sort of freestyled earlier that it's roughly 50%. When you add that extra, that, uh, that extra $5, does that all come to WWE or are you splitting that with the cable companies as well? You're still, you're still splitting the overall revenue. Okay. 
Uh, merchandise drops as well. It went from uh, 8.8 million to 5.8 million. And there's a 50% drop in website sales and a 27% drop at live events. Home video is way down too, going from 3.1 million to 1.9 million. Just across the board, uh, business is down. Now that's quite the opposite from where business is today. Of course, the stock is at a fucking all time high. Bruce, when you see just, you know, how the stock has moved this year, I mean, doubling, that's where we're at now. Is it, is there a shock? I mean, you and I talked about this when they first cut pyro and you laid this out to the letter, exactly what it was going to be. How did you know McMahon's strategy here seemingly before everybody else did? Because it's always been a strategy and you know, the going back to the initial stock offering when we went public and all of the stock analysis and, and experts in, in the business all said, you know, this is a hundred dollar stock. Well, if it's a hundred dollar stock, why are we opening it up at, at $17 a share? Um, they all felt it would take time to get there and they felt that it would all pay off. You know, it's, it's taken a while to get there, but man, it's there. I don't see it going backwards anytime soon. As a matter of fact, a lot of the experts right now are predicting that it will actually be a $100 stock within the next year or two, which is mind boggling to me, <laughs> but I think it's great. Uh, you know, uh, I think it's about time and, and, uh, and I'm really happy for him, but it, it, it's a pretty cool deal to think that wrestling, somebody's paying a hundred dollars a share to own stock in a wrestling company. Let's talk about the June 9th raw. This is the go home edition before the pay-per-view bad blood, which we're on our way to talking about. We're an hour into the show so far. We're not there, but we are eventually going to talk about bad blood. Uh, here we would see that triple H is demanding Steve Austin. Tell him who this special guest referee is going to be. And Austin refuses, but gives him a hint by saying, have a nice day. We also see a skit later in the show where Eric and Austin spin the wheel to determine what some of these events might be at the redneck triathlon. And this is almost like, uh, like a game show style wheel. And what it lands on is pie eating Bruce who booked this shit. Well, Got to give credit where credit's due. I booked that shit, pal. Um, we all came up with some of the craziest shit that you could possibly think of to, to put up there. And the crazier, the more absurd is what Vince loved. And he thought the, the visual and the, you know, fucking with someone's head, what the hell are they going to do for pie eating? Now there's the, the normal you think, are you going to have strawberry pie? You're going to have apple pie. You're going to have rhubarb pie. What kind of pie are you going to have? Um, so it, le it left it open to a lot of speculation. That's why. You guys are doing some interesting stuff here, oh. with, especially with regards to that, you know, just the way women are sort of handled here. Scott Steiner is out with uh, Stacy and he beats Lance storm on this episode and Tess tells Stacy that he's going to make her his whore at the pay-per-view and this makes air. That's uh, it's just hard to wrap your head around who was a well, proponent of, uh, making Stacy their whore at the pay-per-view. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody was. And I think it was a function of live television and people being stupid and immature and not, you know, Vince would always tell people to push the limits, but there was a limit and there was a line. And unfortunately, some people crossed the line in that poor taste column. And that's what happened here. I think the the other the other comment that was made during this time was something about, uh, oh, shit. I don't know. There was another horrible comment that uh, sloppy seconds that was made in there by test that was just a litany of bad judgment on test part. It, it really is just sort of hard to imagine that any of this shit got greenlit, but I understand what you're saying. If it's, if it's live, what can you do? Uh, eventually Steve Austin on this episode of raw introduces Mick Foley as the special guest referee Foley cuts a promo and triple H comes out and threatens him. Uh, Randy Orton is seconded by Ric Flair and he beats the hurricane who has Shawn Michaels in his corner. What's up with that? And backstage, Spike Dudley is asking Foley to reconsider his involvement in the Hell in a Cell match. Uh, Jerry Lawler hosts a spin rooney contest between Booker T and Christian. And uh, Booker avoids the Christian attack, but then Christian hit him with the title belt on the ramp. And we've got our match set up. Uh, we also see backstage where Jericho hits Goldberg with a chair. And then Triple H comes to the ring, which was surrounded by a Hell in a Cell cage. Foley comes out and says he's still definitely going to referee the match. And Triple H attacks Foley until Michaels and Kevin Nash made the save. So it's kind of interesting that we've got a special guest referee, but he's involved with all this physicality ahead of time. Uh, Rather unique here, no? Well, uh, yeah, that was the idea that the physicality is what kept the other referees out of the match. So you tell people that there is going to be physicality with the referee. And in a lot of ways, we were advertising a triple threat match. Just one guy wasn't involved in the title. You know, and the referee was going to get physically involved if he needed to. Talk to me a little bit about Mick Foley's relationship with Vince McMahon here in 2003. It feels like he sort of had a hokey pokey relationship for several years there. And I mean, even here he's made some independent dates and done some stuff outside of the company, you know, around this same time he was doing some stuff with ring of honor and all over the place. What was the relationship like here? You know, Vince has a special place in his heart for Mick Foley. And I think that we all do because Mick is genuine guy that it's hard not to love him. But Mick, you know, leads with his heart. And so Mick would be in and out based on how he was feeling at the time. And and Mick wanted, you know, no different than anybody else. Mick wanted a little bit of love. The only difference was, was that if Mick didn't get it, Mick had no problem with leaving and doing something else because he was very strong in his convictions. So I think Vince will always welcome Mick back with open arms. It's just, you know, uh, don't expect it to last a long time. I think they're better, you know, when they're in and out in short spurts. Speaking of short spurts, uh, be sure to check out bluechew.com uh, and use our promo code wrestle. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the pay-per-view. Now, uh, we're going to use Wade Keller's write-ups before you DM me and ask the observers were not posted on the site. Uh, so I thought, Hey, why not give some love to Wade Keller in the torch? 
we don't have any, uh, F W K shirts. Should we actually make those Greensboro Jackoff shirts in time for Starcast? We haven't really talked about that, but I think this will be the first time that Bruce Mitchell and Bruce Pritchard have been in the same place at the same time since our Montreal episode. Um, we were in the same place at the same time then. I don't think I've ever met Bruce Mitchell. Well, that's what I'm saying. I feel like, you know, if you're we going to meet him, you might as well monetize it and sell some Greensboro. There you go. Maybe we should. Yeah. Yeah. Greensboro jack off. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about bad blood. We're finally here. Took us long enough. Uh, on the show, Christopher Nowinski is going to team with uh, Rodney Mack to take on Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley. And there's some pretty fun stuff here because before the show on Sunday night heat, Nowinski is really pushing Devon to ask, why is the white guy always telling you what to get and what to do? He's always sort of ordering you around and Devon sort of pauses. And I guess they're playing off the, the racial aspect here. And then even in the match, he sort of pauses when Bubba tells him to get the table. But of course, eventually he gets the table and then Nowinski surprises Bubba by hitting him with his mask and scores the win. So Nowinski and Rodney Mack get a win over the Dudley boys in a one-star match here. What'd you think? I thought it was horrible. <laughs> I really did. I thought I thought it was horrible, and that that's a shame because you got the Dudleys in there, and and Rodney Mack, who was was a hell of a hell of a talent, but there just wasn't any chemistry with any of these guys, and it just kind of sucked, pretty much, in my opinion. It, it was this one's kind of hard to watch, and and. Contrary, you know, like sometimes I'll tell you, man, I didn't even fast forward through this one. I didn't fast forward through this one because I watched it with my mouth hung open a lot of times going, what the fuck were we thinking? It's worth mentioning here. Christopher Nowinski has gone on to do incredible stuff with concussions. If you're out of the loop on that, you you need to look it up. That's going to be his legacy, but it is sort of fun to go back and see him as a wrestler here. Dude's only 24 years old right here. Yeah, the the only Harvard graduate they ever had. Chris Nowinski is one of the smartest guys I've ever spoken to in my life. Uh, Talking to him will make you feel dumb. But the wrestling business wasn't for him. He was was an incredible athlete, but the concussions got the better better of him. And because of that, you know, you, you sit there and the discoveries that are made, the guy that has done more for concussions and helping people be aware of the effects of concussions than anyone else, in my opinion, is Christopher Nowinski. And I think he should be applauded for all the work that he's done with the NFL, the WWE, um, just in general for the awareness, but also the study of the brain and everything else, man. But, you know, the wrestling and taking the punishment, man, he was made for better things. So obviously Nowinski's going on to change the world. What's Rodney Mack doing? Uh, he's working for wildcat wrestling in uh, new Orleans. I think. What's your favorite, uh, Rodney Mack story. I don't know when we'll talk about him again. <laughs> Red dog. Um, you know, I tried to, I tried to get Rodney to drop the whole red dog thing because he wanted to be junkyard dog so bad. And I was like, Rodney, there's only one JYD, man, and you ain't him, and you never will be. But I think that different time and a different place that Rodney Back would have been a top guy. I really and truly believe that because he was unique. 
he had a unique look and he and his style was different as well solid but there was just something missing in the personality a little bit because he was trying too hard to be somebody else well you said here in a different time he could have been a top guy why not here i mean what was what would have been different in a different time uh not being able to compare him to jyd oh there you go you're saying if he didn't follow jyd and he was if he was ahead of jyd he would have been a star i think so okay so next up, and this is a fucking pay-per-view folks, Steve Austin and Eric Bischoff burp three times. Oh, fuck. And Terry, <laughs> Terry has the privilege of holding the microphone as they take turns burping into the microphone. Of course, the uh, burps are not real burps. They're pre what? Well, Fuck you. Fuck Wade Keller. Okay. Those aren't real burps. Well, no, he didn't say that. I'm saying that they're pre-recorded what? burps. They're, they're not. Okay. They're real burps, but the guys aren't doing them. They're pre-recorded burps. Well, they, they had done them earlier. They were just lip syncing burps. All right. Let's do you hear what you did for a fucking <laughs> living here? We're, we're lip syncing burps boss. Do, do, do. Now I got an ideal since Austin can't work and Bischoff can't work. Why don't we just have them do a burping contest? And, and we can lip sync it so that it looks like they's burping. It's a working burp boss. Not a shoot burp, a working burp. Dude, dude, dude. You yeah. fuck. I mean, I mean, is this in the list of the dumbest shit you ever did? It's hey. got to be on the list somewhere. Hey, I produced every fucking one of those triathlon segments. Help me understand. So you do that and you're like, nailed it. Let's, let's try that again. Steve, can you give me a little more umph in the burp after the, uh, I can't even what the fuck man is this is this the dumbest thing you ever put on pay-per-view besides the gobbledygooker oh fuck no no i'm sure there's dumber shit we'll get to we'll get to dumber shit i'm sure but this ranks up there <laughs> well, all right, so listen it, it, this goes hand in hand with with steve austin's beer drinking we're having fun i'm wearing a cowboy hat singing along i mean he he has been an entertainer for a while here but this is fucking horrible. Yeah, this is fucking horrible. And Eric Bischoff had sort of tried to position himself differently. And now he's in a fucking burp contest. He has to feel like this is a rib, right? Um, when you yeah, probably it, it would do this was this was, this was like trying to explain to two guys and they're looking at me like, really, we've been promoting this for a few weeks and this is what y'all have. This is what we're fucking going to do. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but, but it's okay guys, because you won't actually have to burp on camera. Oh fuck. I feel like I got a burp coming right now. We'll do it. Wait, wait, what the fuck? That was we... a real burp. What are we, you look how excited you are. What are we doing? I know. Cause I did that. Wasn't even a working burp. You know what JJ Dillon doesn't do on his podcast? He don't burp or have listeners. So Scott Steiner pins test six minutes and 40 seconds. Uh, and he, he manages to win the managerial services of Stacy. Now there's two highlights of this to me. One is Stacy, um, getting in and out of the Just ring Stacey. after the match. <laughs> I think Stacy right here is in 2003 is the fucking definition of roll tide. Is she not good? God, beautiful. Just legs up to her neck. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what roll tide means, but fucking a, she was roll tide. 
You know, I wonder if we could get like special roll tide packaging on some blue chew situations at bluechew.com. Use that promo code wrestle. I think that would, I mean, that would go hand in hand. Would it not? Yeah. Especially when you get your first order free and only $5. You need to stop that. They're never going to order from us. They're never going to order ads with us again. If you keep giving shit away, it's free. No, no bluechew.com. And then you put in promo code wrestle and all you got to do is pay $5 shipping and shit's free. It'll be like when you were 15 and your hard ons were free. Yes. So, um, here's the, the highlight of this whole thing. And first of all, let me just say, I love Scott Steiner, AKA ham cubes. I'm going to refer to him as ham cubes for the rest of the show. If you're out of the loop on that, go listen to what happened when with Tony Schiavone. Yeah. Because nobody else does. Well, that's actually not true. Well, Hey, Oh, I'm sorry. I got a sidebar here. I didn't even share this with you. So I was at MLW wrestling last week. Uh, you know, MLW I, is available on Friday nights on BN sports every Friday night, right? Yeah. At eight o'clock Eastern, seven o'clock central and BN sports is even on direct TV. I watch every single week and you should too. It's BN sports, major league wrestling, Tony Schiavone on commentary, Bruce Pritchard producing the segments. What could go wrong? MLW. Yeah. Well, while I'm there, I get a text message from Debbie. You know who Debbie is? No. Well, you know where is Medusa oh, or under okay. Blaze. Gotcha. I call her Debbie. And she was professing her love for me and not Tony Schiavone. What? Yeah. I don't think we yeah. need to tell Tony this. I already did. I showed him the text. Why would you do that? He's heartbroken. He was heartbroken, and I thought it was funny. Man, you're a dick. I'm cruel. I know. Speaking of dicks. Um <laughs> <laughs> Free <laughs> speaking of dicks, <laughs> what are we doing with our life? I know we're actually getting paid for this, but probably not for much longer. If you keep giving stuff away for free, you know, over at uh, bluechew.com, promo, promo code, code wrestle. wrestle, uh, <laughs> jinx. <laughs> so, my favorite thing about this match with ham cubes oh, is, you know, he has an issue with uh, test jerking Stacy off of the apron. She's trying to get into the ring and Steiner's holding the ropes up for her. He wants to have a little show and test is having no part of it. And he snatches her down. So Steiner decides, fuck this. I'm going for him. So he gets on the apron and goes to dive off and just falls flat on his fucking face. Now you won't see this on the network because you guys have changed the camera angle. If you have the original pay-per-view version, you see splat. Steinerized, but on the pay-per-view version, they shoot from like where the announce team is like on the opposite side of the ring. And you just see, you still down. see it, but not nearly like the original yeah. version. Yeah. And, but I, it's out there. I mean, it's definitely out there on YouTube or something because I've seen it recently. It's a shame because, you know, Scott Steiner was such a badass in WCW, but this is just another thing on the list of shit that is going bad for him in the WWE. Is it not? Yeah. And again, it just wasn't working here. And it, yeah, it, this was another one. It, it, who's the guy that says dud. This was a dud. I just said it, didn't I? He did. Uh, it wasn't a dud. It actually got three quarters of a star in the torch. And Wade would write in here, quote, test hit himself in the head with a chair. Although it was the intended finish in that case. I mean, cause I guess you do need to clarify. Let's talk about the next match. Booker T and Christian go to a DQ. 
quote, the finish of this one was a big talking point afterwards. Christian T's getting intentionally counted out to save his title and the ref changing a rule on the fly announced over the house, Mike, that he'd give Booker T the title on a count out. And that caused Christian to run back into the ring, but then immediately hit Booker to get intentionally DQ'd. The ref who'd already <laughs> changed one rule could have just restarted the match or awarded Booker the belt, but he didn't either. Christian saving the belt in a cheap fashion fits his gimmick, but it's contra- contradictory booking of this finish that made a joke out of everything. The match itself was also very disappointing. The eight minutes it lasted oh. seemed like merely half of a decent match, and the bad finish took it down another notch. Star and a quarter. He didn't love it, but I thought this really got Christian over as a shit heel, did it not? I thought that the match was excellent. The finish sucked. I agree with you on the finish. The finish was just totally illogical. Uh, but the match itself, getting there, I thought was excellent. And it got Christian over as a heel and just displayed why Booker is as good as Booker is. I was a big fan of, you know, running back in and cheating to win. I mean, I know it makes no sense. You could change a rule on the fly. I get that. But the idea of, oh, I'm going to lose the belt if I'm counted out. Okay, cool. I'm DQ'd. DQ disqualified. Yeah, it was a dick move. It was awesome. It was fun. Uh, next up, we've got Jerry Lawler, who introduces Steve Austin and Eric Bischoff in the ring for the pie eating contest. I guess we should say that they set this up on the pay-per-view with a backstage skit where they sort of explained what pie eating was, what sort of, and so Bischoff is sort of freestyling. You know, it's chocolate, it's apple, it's blueberry, it's cherry, it's whatever. And Austin clarifies and says, no, have you not heard the rock out here talking? It's poontang pie. And I just can't believe that that made air, but it did. And as if that wasn't enough, they show another skit where we meet four women and they're debating quote unquote, who gets to go first. I just can't believe this is real. And they both sort of debate why they should get to go first. And in the end, uh, Austin says that Bischoff is being selfish, but he can go first, but he gets to pick the one and Bischoff agrees. So when they're announced here to the crowd, Austin reminds Bischoff that the deal was Bischoff gets to go first, but Austin gets to pick who. And so Bischoff agrees thinking it's one of the four beauties backstage, but instead Austin picks May Young, and he does this by saying, you know, Bischoff had said he preferred mature women, and of course Bischoff plays it off, and then eventually he kisses May Young, and says, "Okay, your turn, Austin." Austin says, "Dude, you kissed her. That's not what this is. This is a pie eating contest." So then May Young low blows Bischoff, and then like does like a uh, Bronco Buster in the corner, and allegedly. And this is rumored innuendo. May put sardines in her underwear that day as a rib on Eric Bischoff. Of course, Austin then forfeits his turn and gives May Young a stunner. The the crowd did not pop for that. <laughs> we're just beating up elderly ladies at this point, and he's a baby face. But we're officially tied because uh well this is round two after the burping contest. What'd you think of this, uh, pie eating contest and may young. Okay. Well, first of all, 
I was watching this pay-per-view in my home on the network by myself. So I was home with all my friends and my wife comes home right as this was taking place. And May takes off her skirt Mm. and my wife looks at me and says, did you write this shit? I'm like, well, I produced it. So yeah, but you got to admit, Conrad may had a nice ass. What, what, what the fuck are you saying out loud right now? She had a nice ass in there, man. And like, you know, she wasn't afraid to show it, but the, this is another, this is another one where sometimes Vince's ha ha just affects shit and can go. I don't want to say too far, but it was like, fuck me, man. We're trying to do a, a pay-per-view and I'm trying to get shit done. And I'm looking for May, and I'm trying to get May up to the gorilla position. And Moolah looks at me, she says, honey, she's not ready yet. She's still stuffing fish down her panties. Oh my, all right. Um, cool. We'll, we'll wait, because she wasn't done stuffing the fish down her panties. And Vince just thought it would be hilarious if May rubbed her crotch with raw fish. In her panties. And if you look closely enough, when you go back and you watch this, you can actually see the fish. Because May's panties are little, they're a little sheer, and you can actually see, and you can like see the little fish eyes and everything kind of bugging back at you. At least I hope that was fish eyes. Oh, God. Help me understand. V- Vince McMahon is the one who asked May Young to put fish in her undergarments. He thought it was hilarious. Well, help me understand what that sounds like and how he pushes that. <laughs> God damn it. May, I got one for you. When you go out there, first of all, you're going to make out with Bischoff. Which one's Bischoff? The one with the hair over there. I want you to stick your tongue down his throat. Oh, my. You got it, baby. Oh, no. <laughs> sound like Jimmy Hart all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> you got it, baby. I'll say about No, anyway. And Jamie Noble, I'll stick that tongue down in the throat, baby. If only Jamie was there to produce this shit. So, and he says, and then I'm thinking you get him in the corner and you hit him and a little low blow there and give me all you know, the Bronco Buster. But I'd like you to stuff a bunch of raw fish down in there, just rub it in his face. She's a little ha ha. She loved it. It's crazy. Yeah, it was. But yeah, like I said, you, you can actually see if you can look. Go back and look with that in mind. You can see the fish in there swimming around. And you will have to, and you will have to admit later, Conrad, she had, she had a pretty damn good ass for an 80 year old woman. Bruce, you have got too much blue chew in you right now, man. You got to slow your roll. It's $5 for shipping. The shit's free. Go to bluechew.com promo code. Russell saying law resistance. One of those guys probably had some blue chew beat Kane and Rob Van Dam five minutes and 50 seconds to capture the WWE tag team titles in an upset that WWE's Jim Ross would call Texas sized, uh, pro wrestling torches. Wade Keller says blah match miscues with RVD and Kane cost them three quarters of a star law resistance winning the tag titles, man, who were they blowing to get this? It was used to, this whole thing was designed for the RVD Kane split up. 
and they were a means to an end. Is that right? That's how you say that. I always get that fixed up, fixed up. (laughs) Jesus. I'm punchy. Uh, well, we've had a twat list, you know, I know, I know. I actually wrote that down twat list. Um, but I look, you know, the only thing that kind of amazed me is I look back and seeing Renee Dupree during that time. There's a 19-year-old kid that looked the way that he looked, had the body, and he was a pretty good worker. Had he not had some of the issues that he had, um, God, he could have been a hell of a star. But, yeah, this match sucked. (laughs) Pretty much just sucked. Uh, With the win, Rene Dupree becomes the youngest man in WWE slash F history to hold the tag team titles. He's just 19 years old. Uh, I can't wait for us to have a Rene Dupree episode sometime. Uh, next up, we've got Bill Goldberg pinning Chris Jericho at 11 minutes. Goldberg dominates early and then Jericho takes over after he sidesteps a spear at ringside. Uh, Goldberg winds up ramming through the ringside barrier and then sells the shoulder. The rest of the match, he makes several comebacks and Jericho stopped one comeback with a low blow and then applied the walls of Jericho. A lot of the fans are even chanting Y2J here. But Goldberg powers out and then finishes off Jericho with a spear and a jackhammer. And afterwards, Goldberg gets in the face of a ringside fan with a pro Jericho sign. Not really baby face behavior here. Two and three quarter stars. What'd you think of this one? You know, I'm not a big Goldberg fan and I thought that they had a hell of a match. I really and truly did. Um, I didn't expect it with Goldberg being involved, but again, Bill, like Bill going to the fan after the match, he took, he took things personally and thought it was, you know, I guess thought it was a shoot sometimes and didn't always know how to react. If someone booed him or said something that he didn't want them to say, but the match, you know what? The match was good. And it told a hell of a story. No doubt about it. Uh, you can hear more about the story in our Goldberg episode available in the archives. I guess we should say in the buildup to this show, um, we had a mystery assailant attempt to run Goldberg over with a vehicle. Now we know why that happened because he's bald with a goatee. So of course the creative said, hit that motherfucker with a car. And uh, later that night, it is, it's sort of like coming out of a box at this point later that night, of course, Goldberg beat Christian in a cage. Then on the May 19th raw, Austin said that Lance storm was the man who tried to run over Goldberg. And of course, Storm says he was hired by Jericho to run him over. So, you know, we've talked a lot about this storyline and about the real life situation, their, their brawl or whatever in the backstage area. And and Chris even wrote in his book that he thought they had a pretty good match here at the pay-per-view. Although he says when he walked into gorilla afterwards, he received absolutely no reception. Um, which maybe was a sign of what Vince thought about it. But he says Goldberg got a standing ovation from Vince McMahon. And, uh, I guess that really sort of says a lot about the way Vince felt like he had to handle Goldberg at the time. Does it not? Well, I think it was the first time Goldberg had ever delivered anything in the ring that warranted any kind of an ovation. And and Chris was probably through first and Vince, you know, didn't feel that Chris needed that. Right. And and then, you know, Goldberg coming through that he needed that encouragement. Vince felt it was appropriate to use that to pump him up and let him know. God damn, you hell of a job there, pal. 
you know, I know we've, we've talked about Goldberg a lot recently here and, and obviously Jericho and Goldberg have patched things up and, and they even did by this point. I mean, you know, Bill invited Jericho to fly on his private plane a few times. So they're on better terms here, but allegedly when they're laying this match out, Jericho suggests that he should kick out a Goldberg spear. So he'd have something to sort of hang his hat on since he was doing the job in the end and Goldberg shot it down. And Jericho points out that the rock kicked out of the spear and Goldberg sort of pushed back that Jericho wasn't at the rocks level. Did you hear that? Was there any heat about it? Yeah, I heard it from Jericho after the fact, much after the fact. It's funny, you know, Jericho's not at rocks level, but he beat rock and Austin in one night to be the first undisputed champion. Right. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for watching bill. Let's talk about the dream match, uh, which is next. It's Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. A lot of people would say the greatest wrestler of the eighties taking on the greatest wrestler of the nineties. They go 14 minutes and seven seconds and Flair gets the win, but with a little help from Randy Orton, who comes in and nails Shawn with a chair shot. Keller would write exactly what you'd expect in terms of the spots they performed. Flair did his flair flip. Michaels did his kip up and super kick lots of chops too. the big spot was Michaels diving off the top rope onto flair crashing him through a ringside table, which is uh, a real sentence. Ric Flair bumping through tables here in 2003, three and three quarter stars is the rating. Obviously I'm a mark for both of these guys. Uh, I loved it. And, uh, clearly it doesn't have the emotion and the story of their final match at WrestleMania 24, but this was, you know, five years before that, we never knew that that's what would be the final chapter for Ric Flair in WWE. What'd you think going back and watching this 15 years later? I thought it was excellent. And again, yeah, I'm probably biased too, because I love both the guys as well. And I think that they are two of the best performers that ever laced up a pair of wrestling boots. So to have them go out and have this display, I, I thought it was excellent. And I thought that they put together a hell of a match. It was believable and a great story. Probably a, a, a really uh, once in a lifetime type deal for Sean, they had wrestled before, I believe in 91, a singles match during Rick's first run. Of course, Sean at the time was still a rocker, but this is the first time on a big stage and Sean was disappointed. He thought he'd have 30 minutes on this show for this match, but he winds up only having 14, but maybe some of the time was cut because Sean was sick. According to the rumor in innuendo, Sean's working this match with the fucking flu. Uh, do you remember Sean being sick that night? And was he protesting about the amount of time that the match got? I don't remember him protesting about the time. It's funny. He had twice as much time as anybody else on the show, except for the main event. So, uh, <laughs> come on. They did have plenty of time and it was the story that we were getting across and it was what it was. And it was excellent. Here's what Keller wrote of the match. Flair versus Michaels was what I expected. I was hoping for more than I expected, but realistically they gave what they could, what they could give was good, even very good in some ways, but not great. Flair seemed half a step slow at times, but overall, I don't think a match between these two 12 years ago on a move for move basis would have been much different. Only it would have been four and a half stars just because the offense would have been a bit crisper and the bumps a bit more spectacular, but they can be proud of their effort. And the finish was the right finish for business. Do you agree with that assessment? No, I, I think <laughs> I think that Ric Flair, for his age, 
especially was spot on. It, it was Ric Flair. It was Shawn Michaels. So the the whole point behind the match was the old dog and, and the young kid that idolized the old dog. You, you have to take into consideration the story. And to me, Ric Flair played his part to perfection. And so did Sean. He was supposed to be a half step off. You, you can't. Again, it's these guys wanting, you know, the flip floppy fly bullshit of, of a Japanese match. Every every single match that has no psychology. This match had psychology and a story that was carried through all the way. Well, they're telling quite a story with what's next. <laughs> uh, Bischoff and Austin are supposed to have a sing-off, but after Bischoff embarrassed himself singing his own theme, Austin changed the contest to a mud pit match, and he then threw Bischoff into a mud pit where there were several pigs set up on the floor, and Austin drank some beer. What the fuck is this? Well, uh, as I said last week, I'll tell you what was supposed to happen. And the whole idea behind this, this damn competition was to get to the finale of a, of a singing competition to where Bischoff goes out and Bischoff has a band and he tries to sing some kind of country song or, or some bullshit. And then Steve comes out after the fact with ZZ top Houston boys, uh, you know, that little old band from Texas. And ZZ Top comes out and they do, uh, I'm bad. I'm nationwide. Now, uh, Billy Gibbons is a friend of mine. Uh, John Paul Shellnut is a good friend of Billy Gibbons. And, and we had talked and we had discussed some different things. Billy was all for it. And Billy was, was happy to be a part of it. But when you've got a band and you've got management, things get a lot more complicated than they probably, <laughs> they probably should be sometimes. But Billy was going to be in town, and he, he agreed to do it. And he was like, yeah, man, we can figure out some different things to do. But the more that Billy's management got involved in it, the, the more it, it seemed like this isn't going to happen. So we started with, we came up with plan B and plan C. And we went right up until that day, kind of negotiating back and forth with different things to do. And you know, was Dusty Hill and, and Frank Beard going to be a part of it? They, I don't think, really wanted to be a part of it. Um, Dusty did, but I don't think Frank really did. And it just became a clusterfuck. Uh, Billy wanted to go to the ring with his guitar and, and hit Bischoff over the head and just shit like that that uh, we couldn't do and, and we couldn't work it out. So Vince was like, we'll do this. We'll have a sing-off. And then then we ended up with the, with the pig pen and the match in the whole, the whole night of the triathlon was basically what was in that pig pen. Shit. Yeah. Ah, man, you guys had fun fucking with Bischoff. Did you not? You know, here's the thing. Uh, and I was talking to, to, to one of the other guys on the creative team today about it was, you know, Vince had his haha with the fish, and I don't know what he expected the reaction to be, but Eric came back, you know, laughing his ass off and in a great mood and didn't sell and thanked everybody. And May walked through the door and he gave her a big hug and kiss and thanked her for everything. 
and everybody had a good laugh about it. Um, Eric got it. So it was, Eric was a great foil. And I think that the WWE audience really likes seeing Eric get, get foiled. Let's talk about our main event here. Kevin Nash is going to play the foil for triple H. They're doing a hell in a cell here. Triple H gets the win in 21 minutes. Keller would write a bit methodical and plotting at points, but overall an intense battle. Hunter used a hammer and a screwdriver as a weapon. Special ref Mick Foley took some weapons away and got shoved off the apron for his trouble. Hunter, Nash, and Foley all bled. Hunter wins clean with the pedigree. No big stunts. Flair and Orton help Hunter up afterwards. Three and a quarter stars. Uh, not a glowing review, but not a terrible review from Wade Keller. I got to say it is sort of a, a forgotten run here for Kevin Nash. Maybe it's because business was down a little bit, but I think when people think of Kevin Nash, they usually think of his first run as diesel, even though it was a much worse time for business. He was the tippy top guy. And I think they think of that run and then maybe more so his run with WCW as part of the NWO. But when he's here in 03, working with Triple H, I don't know that a lot of people really talk about that. Why do you think Kevin Nash's 03 run is sort of swept under the rug? I think because it was so short. You know, it was in and out, and, and he was gone. Um, watching this match, I, I was, I didn't remember it. And I was shocked and surprised thinking that, damn, this is not a bad match at all. No, I agree. And, and they, they utilized Foley and Mick was all over the place. They told a believable story all the way through the thing. And, um, it was a good, it was good use of the cell and it was believable. So, you know, Hunter used everything under the sun to have to beat the big bastard, you know, and finally ended up with the, the trademark sledgehammer. You know, he used a, a hammer in there, the friggin' barbed wire two by four, which is standard under most rings. Whenever you order a ring, I think it comes standard underneath the ring nowadays. The bar, unless you, bar, get, unless bar. you get a 16 by 16, that's extra. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 But the 20 by 20 and, and 18 by 18 rings, they all come with a two by four wrapped in barbed wire underneath the ring. What'd you think of the match overall? I mean, Hunter's working in purple here, as opposed to the standard issue black, uh, Kevin Nash looks like a monster here. Uh, Foley has some interesting referee attire and he's back in here. And as you said, you essentially make it a three-way Foley's very active in the match, but in the end, Hunter wins clean with a pedigree surprise. I didn't win clean with pedigree. He hit him with the sledgehammer. Well, but and then I'm, hit him with the pedigree. Well, but still. He hit him with a hammer. He hit him with the fucking two by four. And pedigree. then finally got the uh, sledgehammer and got him into the pedigree. As long as there's a pedigree, he's happy. Well, fuck yeah. Yeah. What about what about the three times that Kevin Nash covered Hunter for 20 counts? No, it was a, it was a good match and it was logical. And I, I thought that it, it was... It was better than I thought it was going to be. Looking back at it, I was dreading it because the early matches, you know, the last two matches saved this pay-per-view. You know, we had the redneck Bugs Bunny with Stone Cold Steve Austin earlier in the night and then all through the night, unfortunately. Um, and then the last two matches I thought were pretty damn good matches. 
I guess we should mention here as a footnote, uh, Nash loses his hair against Chris Jericho in August of this year. He's really losing the hair though for a movie role. And then he works at SummerSlam in the elimination chamber. And then he's out of here. Uh, he has uh, neck surgery and he's out of the ring and uh, WWE doesn't renew his contract in January of 04. So hopefully Kevin Nash wins a poll sometime and we can talk about him uh, in a little more detail. Bruce, I don't know that you have uh, kissed Hunter's ass enough. Do you want to get your chapstick out and put him over any more here? I already put my chapstick on. My lips are burnt. Okay. Was there ever any consideration to taking the belt off of Hunter or, or at this point had Hunter decided he just didn't want to lose it? To Kevin Nash? No, there was no consideration to put the title on Kevin Nash at all. And this was during the time that they were building the faction of evolution with Flair and Randy Orton and Triple H. So the idea behind them was to have the championship and build it around that. Was there anybody sort of upset about these guys being in the main event? They were the main event eight days prior at insurrection. Obviously that comes with a, a good payday. Uh, so their main event in, in pay-per-views eight days apart. Anybody have anything to say about that? No, they were top guys. It was top story. I guess it's worth mentioning. They worked at judgment day, uh, for the world title as well. Uh, and then even going back, uh, before that we saw, um, well, you remember the run here. We'll talk about triple H another time. Let's briefly touch on, uh, the raw after the show here, the very next night, Mick Foley comes out for a promo and evolution follows and confronts Foley. And that leads to Randy Orton and Foley exchanging words. Um, this is going to have a fun payoff that I can't wait for us to talk about sometime. But the real reason I wanted to, uh, talk about this next night is what it sets up at the end of the night. Triple H invites Kane to join evolution and Austin comes out and gives Kane a title match for the next week. Bischoff comes out and says, if Kane doesn't beat triple H, he'll have to unmask. And Kane choke slams Triple H to end the show. We know where that's going to end because, of course, there's no chance Triple H is losing in 2003. Uh-uh. So the next week, Kane has to unmask and turns heel in the process. This is the reign of terror here, is it not? Yeah, that was good shit, man. <laughs> I love Dude, you this. This that. this was you know this was that fucking rebuilding phase, and it's. As I often say, sometimes I just block shit out. <laughs> so much of this was blocked out. And then you had to make me go back and relive it and rewatch it. Fuck me running. Fuck you running. Yeah. That's that's a southern expression. I haven't heard that. Well, you'd have to, you know, if you couldn't do that, then I know something that can increase your performance and give you that little extra confidence there, big boy. Oh, yeah. Is that bluechew.com who are bringing you the first chewable? And it's with the same FDA approved active ingredients like Viagra and Cialis. And they work twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready anytime, day or night. You mean the better, cheaper and faster choice, man. Listen, don't you say that again. You're about to do it again. Don't do it. I'm going to, because if you visit bluechew.com, you get your first shipment free, but you got to use our special promo code wrestle and all you have to do is pay five dollars shipping that's right visit blue chew that's b-l-u-e-c-h-e-w.com use our promo code wrestle your first shipment is f 
R double E free. All you got to do is pay $5 shipping and handling. Try it free on us. I can't believe that, um, that you're really pushing this. I mean, you know that they're never going to be back. They, they will because free bluechew.com. Let's go to some questions. Promo code wrestle. You can ask some questions for our next episode, which by the way, will be about Sable. She's coming up. Mark your calendars. June 22nd, June 29th is King of the Ring 1998. July 6th is Brutus the fucking barber beefcake. July 13th is Muhammad Hassan. July 20th is the invasion. And July 27th is Vengeance 2003. So stay tuned for those if you haven't already. Like us and follow us everywhere. Instagram and Twitter are both at Pritchard Show. He is at Bruce Pritchard. I am at Hey Hey, it's Conrad. Check us out on Facebook. Please like us there. Facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle. And if you haven't already, check out something to wrestle.com and subscribe to our YouTube. It's free and you're going to want to be there. Uh, let's hit some QA here. We give the uh, fans an opportunity to ask questions. And uh, I'm ready to rapid fire some here if you're ready. You rapid fire and I'll rapid answer. Uh, Alan Jackson wants to know Nash wasn't with the company much longer after leaving after SummerSlam. You guys have mentioned Nash was considered for the Armageddon pay-per-view with Goldberg and triple H. Were there any other plans for Nash after this triple H feud? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm a big fan of your music there, Alan. And, um, you know, there weren't, there weren't any in writing because Kevin was going away to go do a movie. So we knew that there was going to be time away and the idea was get through the, the whole triple H angle and then give Kevin his time off. Uh, Andrew wants to know, I remember this pay-per-view for the fan dressed as Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. That was visible all night ringside. Goldberg got into what appeared to be a verbal altercation with this fan after the match with Chris Jericho. Does anybody have anything to say about this backstage? The guys dressed up as Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Uh, you know, Hey, they, they were enthusiastic fans. Are you going to, uh, you know what we left out? What? We left out mattress Mac. You know what? I'm glad you mentioned that because there is that moment in the whole Eric Bischoff, um, Steve Austin, redneck triathlon deal where he's demanding that this gets switched to the pig pen deal. And he deputizes, he being Austin pronouns, pal, everyone in the arena and says, should Eric Bischoff decide to escape or try to escape, please throw his ass back into the arena because Stone Cold Steve Austin said so. And so, of course, immediately Bischoff goes to a planned, uh, a planned exit spot. And the guy who throws him back in, and I texted you this this week when I watched it, it's fucking Mattress Mac. The guy who has been a WWE proponent for a long time, a friend of yours, a local celebrity there in Houston, and a hell of a great guy who has come through for the community in a big way during the hurricane this last year. How did this mattress Mac becoming a, a Steve Austin deputy and getting involved in this Eric Bischoff skit come to be? Well, Mac is a very dear friend of mine and gallery furniture is the only place in Houston where you're going to be able to get great furniture. So, uh, check that out. But Mac was in the right place at the right time. And, and Eric had done, some stuff with mattress Mac during the, uh, promotion. Um, we'd done some stuff at his tennis club. So Mac knew Eric and of course, Mac and Steve Austin were longtime friends as well. It just worked out perfectly. And if there was a place for him to go, we just gave Mac a nice little spot to 
dump Eric's ass back in and got a hell of a pop from the local Houston crowd. As soon as they saw Mac in the crowd, they knew exactly what was coming. Good stuff. Um, here's a fun question here. Uh, Jonathan Crone wants to know, did anyone realize triple H was working his way through every main WCW star by this point, he'd already been put over by Steiner twice Booker once, and he's about to go over Nash and then move into a feud with Goldberg. It's kind of hard not to draw the dots on that one. Yeah, that was exactly the plan. You're so damn smart. You should be booking. I mean, seriously, I mean, are you going to address that at all or just be a smart ass? I mean, he's clearly just going after WCW dudes there. I mean, that's by design. So he didn't work with, he didn't work with any WWE guys ever. I think the point is he fucking beat them all. Bruce, put your chapstick on. Well, of course he beat them all. He was better than all of them. Oh my God. Listen to this. Uh, Ronnie wants to know, Bruce, would you agree that triple H had a horrible 2003 in ring wise? He is at his very worst since becoming a main eventer in 2003. And this is his most boring reign as champion of his entire career. Uh, no, I would disagree with that. And I thought that it was during a building time, you know, for evolution and being able to get those guys up. I thought that that whole evolution thing for me was the best spot for Randy and, and Batista. And I don't think it did Hunter any favors really. Um, but I thought it did a shitload for Batista and for Orton. Eric has a great question. Was Mick Foley brought in because Vince didn't have faith in Nash to deliver in the ring, or was it just as an added attraction? It was timing. It was timing where Mick was looking to come back and do something with us, and it fit in with the whole hell in a cell. It, it was it was good timing. So Mick came into that spot, and we used him, you know, for a little while before and after, and it just worked out. But it was it was an attraction. All right, I think we're going to be able to have fun with this one. Eric says. Horseshit that Nash did not win the damn belt. Bigger draw and a lot more people like him. Go over in the cell match, then drop it in the elimination chamber match. Not to mention he should have went over in Omaha in April '96 as well. It makes much better sense in the long run and makes the story even freaking better. Yeah, that night Nuevo Laredo, he should have gone over too. Those motherfuckers. Uh, what the fuck? You know, you know, I think that, that, that sometimes the, the, these people don't understand. Come try and do it sometime. And, and try and do it with all the personalities and with all the limitations of talent and the injuries and the different personalities that you have to deal with it. I, I, would, I would love that everybody that has all these great ideas to submit your ideas and go through the process, man. Go do it. Or, or get your, or finance your own show and book and find out how easy it is. Dean Maddox says, it's always amazed me during the hell in a cell, just before triple H hits Foley with a chair, you can clearly see Foley blade. He stabs his head about five times with a blade and it's all on the network playing his day. Was there any effort to sort of shoot around that stuff? Is there an edict? I mean, do the guys know when it's going to happen and to shoot the other way or is that, well, if you know, if you know, it's going to happen, you do shoot the other way. And I doubt that that's actually what Mick was doing. Because again, I, I doubt that this person that is saying this is, has any experience doing that. So a lot of times and, and there were guys, you know, you go back and watch guys that you think they're blading like the experts of, of DFDM and people like that, that think that a guy's getting color at a certain point when they're not. 
And the reason that they do things is they'll make mannerisms to their head or they'll do something so that when they do get it, you're used to them doing it. So you can't tell when they're actually blading. And I don't know if Mick got it then or not. And I, I doubt that uh, this guy does either. Yeah, here's something that uh, I think is a pretty good question here. Paul says Nash has said that Foley was added because he and Triple H had no intention of leaving the cell, which wasn't deemed exciting enough by this point. Any truth to this? Um, that it definitely was considered. Yes, it I mean, definitely it, is. Isn't it weird that this cage with a top on it, you know, because the very first one they got out. And then the second biggest one, Thank you. you know, they got out. Everybody now has an expect expectation that you're supposed to do something off the top of the thing. I mean, even when Kevin, not Kevin undertaker and Shane McMahon had one at WrestleMania, as soon as that's announced, everybody's like, oh, well, Shane's jumping off that motherfucker. Right. I don't get it. You know, to me, the, the structure should have been to keep pe to keep people inside the damn structure. So I always hated it when guys went out and I hate the expectation that they're supposed to. Uh, Murren says who booked the finish. All right. We know who, but it's up there with Booker at WrestleMania. Can you defend it though? Why are we burying Nash's power bomb, which has been over for years? Please explain to me how Kevin Nash, giving somebody a power bomb, covering them forever and, and then getting hit in the head with a two by four, a hammer and a sledgehammer to beat somebody. Um, again, you, you, folks are so hung up on shit that they can't see the tree for the forest. That's really the answer. Yeah. That's really the answer. <sighs> you know, I, I think, uh, you know, I mean, everybody has the same opinion. Most of the questions are really just wanting to shit on you for triple H in this era. And you're sort of insinuating that really nobody had an issue with it. I mean, from a fan's perspective, you know, people were really starting to get annoyed with the booking of triple H. Is there nobody sort of protesting in the back for any of this? I think that there are people, no, nobody's protesting. No, absolutely not. I think that there are rumblings and grumblings from people that are either jealous of the position or feel that he's getting special treatment because of who he's getting ready to marry. So I think there's always going to be grumblings of that. People lose sight that if, again, he's a victim of his circumstance and he's a victim of the fact that he's, you know, he was good. He's very good. And he was a top guy. And you can't take that away from him, no matter how hard you want to because of who he married. You, you can't take that away from him. He earned those spots. And it's easy then to go back and, oh, that's why he earned the spot. Because you don't like him for whatever reason. But when you have to look at it objectively and you have to look at it from a standpoint of, okay, what's going to draw? What's going to work? What's best for story? That's what was best for story. And that's what we had. During this time, for a lot of the creative and for the time frame, man, I don't think a lot of us were happy with the creative. As I said earlier, it was, it was a tough rebuilding time. And I think that the, the raw and SmackDown division at that time, a lot of the more entertaining guys, in my opinion, were on SmackDown, you know, the Kurt angles, the edges, the Eddie Guerrero's and guys like that, that, that were a lot of fun. 
Um, so I, I just think people have a lot of unnecessary hate for whatever they do. And, and that's the people that don't understand it and that have never been there and will never be there to understand it. Jake brings up an excellent question here. It's sort of an insinuating in some Kevin Nash shoot interviews over the years that maybe there was some collusion with triple H and Mick Foley to make Nash look weak here because Nash hits the jackknife and then Foley jumps back in the ring to make a standard three count, not the exaggerated slow count classic where you barely kick out at two and nine tenths with the really slow, you know, one, two type of deal. Instead Foley just does a normal count and triple H kicks out at two. Is that just guys being paranoid or do you think there's anything to that? No, there's absolutely nothing to it. Hang on. And again, psychology wise, Mick Foley, the quote, baby face referee put in that situation would want to see Hunter. So he would do a normal count. We're trying to just make the uh, show. He's not biased. So yes, he's going to do a normal count. Um, yeah, I think that's just absolute paranoia and conspiracy bullshit. That's just simply not true. Well, it is true that we're coming back at you next week with Sable. Ask us a question on Twitter or Facebook, and don't forget to check us out on the WWE network. Do you want to give them a spoiler as to what we're covering next? Or they're going to have to tune in. No, they're going to have to tune in. All right. Well, don't be uh, broken and, and not do it. Oh, Maybe there's going to be a little twist of fate in our future with the WWE network. If we keep pushing the limits the way we have, I mean, we're basically heat machines over here. Yeah. We'll be off the air in four weeks the way we're going. Yeah, no doubt. So enjoy it while you can and come see us tomorrow night at the house of blues right here in Chicago. Don't you dare miss it. Tickets on sale now at brucepritchard.com and Rochester. We're going to sell out. Come see us, man. July 7th. July 15th will be in Pittsburgh on the 18th of August. We're at Gramercy and don't forget about LA and San Antonio. We've got so many shows coming your way right now. Tickets available for all of them at brucepritchard.com. You can also see some shirts there and lots of other fun merchandise, including koozies and beach towels and baby onesies. What the fuck? That's not a real, it's right out of the box of gimmicks at box and as always, SaveWithBruce.com can help you skip a couple of house payments, get rid of some credit card debt, and get you a cheaper monthly payment. Even if you're a renter, you can get into a brand new house with no money down at SaveWithBruce.com. But by now, you clearly know that we are all about some Blue Apron, and you know all about Blue Chew. Please support our sponsors. We're proud to have them. We're proud to have you as a listener. And we'll be back next week with Sable. And uh, I'm pretty sure after that, you and I will be banned from WWE until Brock Lesnar rides off into the sunset. You know, this show was a lot more fun than actually watching bad blood. Well, in fairness, everything was more fun than watching bad blood. I'm surprised you guys convinced 385,000 motherfuckers by to pay $35 for that. Well, you know, I mean, they had to be doing it for NASA. They sure as shit weren't doing it for triple H. Yeah. None of them drew. Well, I mean, Nash drew the house here. That's yeah. the reason that it popped the buy rate. Sure. Okay. I'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard, that's me. I was going to say Hunter Hearst Helmsley because that's it's not. It's not something to wrestle with him. 
if it was we'd beat every oh we already are though maybe that's yeah. what we should do exactly get used to it John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.